Hey everyone, and welcome back to my podcast, a podcast all about movie commentaries. This week is our part two of the Scream franchise, and we're talking about Scream 3 and 4. I forgot to mention, or rather, I didn't forget, I just didn't know, but it has actually been 25 years since the first Scream came out, which is just wild to me. I guess it was just fate that I was supposed to talk about these movies at this time. And I also saw this week that they actually dropped the trailer for the new Scream 5 movie and the release date. So it is coming out January 14th of 2022 and the trailer is up. You guys should go watch it. It's definitely worth like the minute it takes to watch it. I'm actually pretty impressed with it and I'm curious to see on where they're going to go with this movie. I think they're going in a good direction, but I think I'll just have to wait till January to find out. I guess we're going to get a new Scream movie every 10 years though, because it's been 10 years since the fourth one came out. Actually, I think it'll be 11 years since the fourth one came out when the fifth one comes out. And it was 10 years in between the third and fourth one. So maybe we'll get another Scream in another 10, 11 years. I doubt it because Wes Craven is no longer with us. So I don't know if they'll want to do another one. I guess it depends on how much money this one makes. Anyways... I did mention a lot about these movies last week, so I'm not going to waste any more time talking about anything else except for these movies. So with that being said, let's get into Scream 3 and 4. Alright, just to get it out there, spoiler warning. I'm basically going to be walking you through these movies, so you've been warned. But for me, watching this third movie, I felt like I was watching it again for the first time. I forgot almost everything about it, except for who the killer was, and I didn't even remember that until it got close to the end. I guess it had really been a long time since I'd watched this movie and I hadn't realized. So all our regulars are back for these movies, but we do have a few newbies. So I'm going to start with the third one, and then when we get into the fourth one, I'll tell you who's new in those movies. So Leif Schreiber does return in this movie, and for our newbie newbies, we have Patrick Dempsey, aka McDreamy, Scott Foley, Shondaland Reunion, hello, Kelly Rutherford, aka Lily Vanderwoodson, for any of my Gossip Girl people out there, Jenny McCarthy, a young Jenny McCarthy, by the way, and for about three minutes, Carrie Fisher. We start this movie off with Cotton. He's now apparently a popular TV show or radio host. I think he's a TV show host. But obviously he's doing very well for himself because he has a car phone and a cell phone. So he's living large. He gets a call on his cell phone and it's a woman who claims to have called the wrong number but recognizes that it is Cotton and they start up a conversation. We soon figure out it's not a random woman that just happened to dial the wrong number. But it's Ghostface using a voice changer. So that's new. He's at Cotton's house and he's threatening his girlfriend, Christine, which is played by Kelly Rutherford. Well, Cotton is stuck in traffic and he, of course, can't get to her in time, you know, to build the suspense. But when he does get there, Christine tries to kill him because Ghostface was pretending to be Cotton with his voice changer. And poor Christine, she was just all confused. She didn't know what was going on. Ghostface ends up killing Christine right in front of Cotton and then freaking Cotton dies. I totally forgot about that. I was like, oh, Leif Schreiber's in two of these movies. I know he makes it through the whole, all of the third one. I was clearly wrong. He did put up a pretty good fight though before he died, uh, but he did get stabbed to death. Sydney, however, is now off the grid. She's living way out in the wilderness. Only Dewey knows where she is. 
She has an alarm on her outside gate, an alarm on her door, along with extra locks. So she set this place up like a fortress. She also works from home, which I'm not surprised by. I would work from home too if a maniac killer was trying to kill me all the time. And she doesn't even go by her own name anymore. She goes by Laura. She works for a women's crisis hotline and she's an operator for them. Gail, however, is now an anchor woman sporting some god-awful bangs. And if you guys have seen this movie, you know what I'm talking about. They're just awful. I don't know if it was like the early 2000s, like fringe look, but it's not cute. And I'm really happy that it died. Actually, it's coming back. Those fringe bangs are coming back. I am not a fan. If you have them, if anybody that listens to this has them, I'm not trying to offend you. (laughs) They are just not my thing. I have tried them. And I think that's why I don't like them. I've tried to have them and they just look god awful on me. And Courtney Cox didn't pull them off very well either, in my opinion. Anyways, this is where we meet Detective Kincaid. Hello, McDreamy. He's here. He's entered the movie. He's entered the chat. But she is going to help him solve Cotton's murder. We do find out that Ghostface left a picture of a young Maureen Prescott at Cotton's murder. And I'm going to leave y'all with some suspense. We're going to find out later on why. Apparently, Cotton did a cameo in the new Stab movie, Stab 3. Yes, they made more than one. This is where we meet our director, Mr. Scott Foley. His name is Roman, though, in the movie. And he's pissed because they want to shut the movie down because of Cotton's death. I mean, they probably should, and I'm not surprised, but obviously he is because apparently just because somebody dies doesn't mean you should shut down a movie. Don't know what movies he's been directing, but in this case, you probably got to shut it down. We also find out that all of the Stab movies have been recasted. Shocker there. Not really. Gail ends up trying to crash the set in true Gail Weathers fashion with a hidden camera, but she runs into Dewey, who's apparently the technical assistant for this movie and is with the woman who is playing Gail in this movie. Her name's Jennifer. And I don't know her name, but she is that girl from... All I know her from is Josie the Pussycats. And she played um, the weird girl that like you, she like removed her teeth at the end. You all know what I'm talking about. If you've seen that movie, it's kind of hard to forget. But anyways, that's this girl. It's never said that they're dating in this movie, but he lives right beside her house in a trailer and she calls him her rock. So definitely something's going on there, which I guess means that the Gail and Dewey love story is over yet again for now. So I would like to put out there and admit that I was wrong about Sydney's dad not being in any more of these movies because he is in this one for like five minutes. Okay, back to the actors in Stab 3. Sarah, Jenny McCarthy's character, comes to set to meet Roman, and he's not there, conveniently. But she decides just to wait for him in his office and wait for him to show up. And you guessed it. The phone rings. It's Roman. At least we think it's him. Sarah complains to him that she just really hates her character. She hates the story that her character has, and that apparently she's naked all the time. (laughs) But anyways, that's her complaints. And he says, no, your character's important. Let's run your lines. So they start running lines. And all of a sudden, he starts talking about a new movie. His movie. Cut to this is Ghostface on the phone. He says he's going to kill her. Shocking, I know. So she runs away and she ends up in the costume. I'm not going to say costume department. It's the costume room. And she ends up hiding in the Ghostface costumes. There's like three racks. I don't know why they need so many, but that's not even important. I was just saying. But she is hiding there and also so is the real ghost face. He pops out, goes after her. She does her best to fight him off with some fake props. Give it to her. She did put up a fight, but it was kind of a failed attempt. 
and he ends up pushing her through the window of a door and then stabs her. Switching back to Gail and Dewey, we do find out that they did try to make it work after we left off with them in Scream 2, but Gail didn't want to stay in Woodsboro and she just had to go out and do her own thing. She couldn't miss the opportunity to become an anchor woman because she thought she was going to be the new Diane Sawyer. Dewey has some hard feelings about that and I don't blame him. We do find out though from Dewey that someone on the crew wants to find out where Sydney is and they tried to steal her file from set, but Dewey beat him to it. So go Dewey, still doing cop work. We do find out though after Sarah's death that Ghostface is killing everyone in the order that they die in Stab 3. And do you want to guess who's next in the movie? It's Gail. Dun, dun, dun. They end up shutting the movie down as they should. And now Roman is a suspect but we won't find out till later if they were correct in making him a suspect. Back to Sydney, aka Laura, who is doing her job and taking calls and she gets a call from this woman, but we soon find out that that phone call came to her home number, not her office number. So we soon figure out that it's Ghostface on the phone and not that woman. So that means that Sydney needs to get up and go. Got to go right now. Back at the precinct, though, we find out that the detectives have figured out that the call Sarah got was from a cloned phone number, and that will all come back into play later. So at Sarah's murder, there was another picture of Maureen Prescott left, and Gail is just finding that really weird, and she is wondering why the killer is choosing pictures of just Maureen Prescott and why these certain pictures were left. They look like headshots. So Gail shows up at Jennifer's house to talk to Dewey about it. They are trying to figure out if Maureen was a movie star, and spoiler alert, she was. Gail and Dewey figure that out because the pictures that they have were taken at the studio where Stab 3 is being filmed. Coincidence? I'm gonna go with a no. Jennifer has a security guard, aka it's the dude that voices Kronk in Emperor's New Groove. I cannot remember his name either, but that's him. And he's making his rounds and he gets a call from Dewey. But you should all know by now that it's not really Dewey. On the call, Dewey is trying to convince him, or as I say Dewey, Dewey in air quotes, is trying to convince him to come back to the house, but the security guard isn't taking the hint. He's hateful to who he thinks is Dewey, and side note about all this and him getting a call from Dewey's phone, Kincaid borrowed Dewey's phone earlier, so he is my number one suspect. But on that phone call, the security guard basically says something really hateful about his sister dying, but all of a sudden... Ghostface pops out and stabs him and knocks him out with a frying pan. (laughs) But he's not dead, not yet. He stumbles his way to the front door where everyone, and by everyone, I mean Gail, Dewey, Jennifer, Tom, who is playing Dewey in the movie, and Angelina, who is the girl playing Sydney, are trying to leave. The security guard tells them to run, and after that he falls. He's dead. He ain't coming back. And after that, Ghostface is not far behind him. Like, literally, he falls over and Ghostface is running. Like, he's gotta get to that front door. They do manage to keep him out of the house, but he cuts the lights and has them trapped now inside the house. Or I say that he has them trapped in the house. They do end up making it outside because they think that he's at the front door. But this Ghostface has changed up his game. This time, he isn't calling anyone, but faxing them. So 2000s, right? He's faxing them a script. Not just any script, his script. He's rewritten this movie, and in these faxes, it's basically saying who will and will not survive. Well, Tom ends up being the loser of that game, because Tom was trying to read the new fax, and he ends up using a lighter to read it, and when he lights the lighter to read the fax, and all these faxes have basically been, you know, just one-liners, like, you know, like, the person that's gonna die, 
is next facts and the one that tom gets when he turns on the lighter it says the one who smells the gas and boom he blows up freaking jennifer's house he had turned the gas on and poor tom you should have just used a flashlight man when the house blows up gail dewey jennifer and angelina all end up down the hill because jennifer apparently lives on top of a freaking mountain in los angeles but they tumble down dewey decides to go look for gail and it's a good thing because Ghostface almost gets her, but Dewey shoots him. Doesn't kill him, though. How? How? I mean, I know no one is surprised by that by now, but it's just still, it's very irritating. Jennifer, of course, is upset. Dewey is with Gale and starts shoving him and being really pissy and being rude. And you know what? Gale finally gets to punch somebody and not get punched. And she punches Jennifer in the face. She deserved it. We all know it. Of course, Jennifer says my lawyer will love to hear from you or something like that something bitchy they see that another picture was left but this time something is written on the back now this ghost face is claiming that he is the one that killed maureen uh wrong sir that would be billy and Stu. need i remind you of scream one we can go back and show it to you kincaid is really wanting to know where sydney is like annoyingly wanting to know where sydney is and he's really not helping his case for me of making him not a suspect well, ask and you shall receive, sir, because Sydney's back, y'all. Still wearing Derek, R.I.P., by the way, his Greek letters. And you want to know who else is in town? Randy, again, R.I.P., Randy's sister. Um, hey, Lily Moskovitz from Princess Diaries. I know this was before Princess Diaries, but still, it's all I know her from. <laughs> that and Saved, if anybody has seen that movie. It's a terrible movie, but she's also in that. But we're not talking about her, we're talking about this movie. She's brought with her a tape that Randy made in case he didn't survive the Windsor murders. He explains in the video that there are new rules for the trilogy horror movie because that's what they're living in right now. This killer is basically superhuman and the main character, aka Sydney, can die in this movie. So after we figure all that out, Gail is trying to figure out if Maureen was actually an actress, which like I said, she was, but they don't know that yet. We're about to figure that out. She tries to break into the archives, but she can't get in without Jennifer's help, so the two Gales have teamed up together. How cute. But the only reason Jennifer's tagging along is because she's afraid that she's going to die because this ghost face is killing all these people in movie order, and she's like, if I'm with you, he could just kill you and leave me alone. <laughs> this is where we get our Carrie Fisher cameo, along with a Star Wars joke. You know, she had to make one. But this is also where we find out that... Maureen was an actress, but she went by Rena Reynolds, and she worked with Milton, who is the producer now for Stab 3. Milton is the worst, y'all. Like, scum of the earth. And um, we find out that he invited Maureen to a party to help her meet the right people, as he says, but in reality, they just all wanted to sleep with her, and he basically let it happen. So, girl was traumatized. But Stab 3 is now done. It's canceled. It's not happening. Cut the check. It's done. Angelina has taken it upon herself to steal props from set, and she, for some reason, steals all of Ghostface's stuff. All the things to take, my, my friend. Why that? I would not want that hanging in my house anywhere. We find this out, though, because Sydney is in the bathroom and sees some boots under the stall door. Deja vu, anyone? Well, she busts open the door, and that's where we find Angelina with all her stolen goodies. Sydney tries to chase after Angelina because she left something that was actually hers in the bathroom and Sydney's trying to be a nice person and give it back to her, but can't find her, but ends up on the set where her and Stu's houses are. And all these memories start coming back. But we don't go down memory lane for long because 
out pops ghost face in the window and pulls her out this girl is always getting pulled out of freaking window onto the ground i don't know how she has survived they have a tussle though but she gets away and that's when everybody finds her so convenient right but Ghostface is nowhere to be found. Again, no one is surprised. But if you're guessing that they want to put Sydney in a safe house, you would be correct. They always want to put her in a safe house or under protection. And I don't know how they haven't figured it out that that does not work out well for anybody. Especially the protection detail. Those poor guys. But I guess this protection detail is they're just going to keep her at the precinct for now. And Kincaid is really pressing her for some info on her mom. Which Sydney doesn't really know anything about her mom. And she definitely didn't know that she was a movie star. And why would she know that? But this guy doesn't know when to quit. And he is not helping his case for me. Like, I am fully convinced that he is the killer. Apparently, there is a party at Milton's house. It's Roman's birthday. So why is Roman having his birthday party at Milton's? I don't know. But Milton's house, which is basically like a little shop of horrors with all these secret doors. I would never want to stay at this house. I would never even want to visit this house. Because everywhere you turn... If you knock something over, well, you're in another room. Dewey and Gail show up at the party, though, because Sydney called and said that she was there. Heads up, it was not Sydney. She did not call. She is not there. She's still back at the precinct, where Kincaid has now left. But back to Gail and Dewey. Gail tells Dewey to redial the number that called him, and they hear the phone ringing in the house, and so they obviously go and find it. And when they open up the closet, there is all his stuff. His mask, cloak, voice changer, the whole kit and caboodle. So the killer is obviously at the party. Gail and Dewey split up to go find everybody because they're all exploring this terrifying house because they think it's so cool. Dewey finds Tyson. Gail finds a dead Roman. But is he really dead? Because we didn't see him get stabbed. And most of the time, if you don't see it happen, they are not really dead. She also finds Jennifer and Angelina. They're both still alive. For, for now, that is. Angelina decides that she is over this and she wants to leave. She is just done. She can't handle it. But Ghostface can't let that happen and kills her before she makes it out the door. Tyson, poor Tyson, he was barely in this movie, but he is our next murderer. He gets stabbed, then pushed out a two-story window. Like, damn. And then the final murder is Jen. Her and Gail ended up getting separated, and she gets caught behind some two-way mirror type thing. I don't even know if it's two-way because they can't even hear her. They just see the mirrors moving because she's banging on them to try and get their attention. And by the time they shoot out all the mirrors, she's already dead. Dewey does try to fight Ghostface again. I will say he does better this time. He's improving. He only gets cut instead of stabbed. So, progress, my man. Gail ends up getting attacked and her and Ghostface end up falling down some stairs into the basement, which does not Ghostface out. And she tries to call Dewey and tell him to come and get her out of the basement, but he is not buying that it's her. And why would he? We have not had very trustworthy calls in this movie. But Dewey does end up going down to get her, but Ghostface wakes up, knocks them both out and goes and ties them up. But we're going to get back to all that. Back at the station, Sydney's just chilling in Kincaid's office when she sees a file with her name on it. Kincaid has really done his research. There's clippings from Sydney being in the newspaper about all of the murders from Woodsboro to Windsor College. Kind of stalkerish, but I mean, he is a detective, so he kind of does have to do his research. I don't know. It's still creepy. But while she's looking through her file, she gets a call from herself. Just kidding. It goes face. He did try to be her, though, to throw her off, so technically was her, but not really. He wants to meet. He tells her where to go. So Sydney takes a gun from Kincaid's desk and heads out to the party. When she makes it to the house, there's a metal detector, and Ghostface tells her to use it. So the gun plan was just out the window already. 
He makes her toss it in the pool and inside the house she goes. When she makes it to the party, there is a metal detector laying beside poor Tyson and Ghostface tells her to use it. So already the plan to have a gun is just tossed out the window. Actually, it's tossed at the bottom of the pool because that's where he tells her to throw it. Inside the house, though, she finds Gail and Dewey and tries to untie them, but Ghostface gets to her first. But have no fear, because she played him and didn't toss the gun, so she shot Ghostface up like there was no tomorrow, and by the time she gets Gail and Dewey untied, Ghostface is gone. But you know who is here? Detective Kincaid. He really had me thinking that we had another Billy situation on our hands, because Ghostface does come back and stabs Kincaid, but he fights Ghostface off and gets pretty beaten up, so maybe he's good? I don't know. Billy had me convinced in Scream 1 that he wasn't the killer either, so all bets are off, honestly. But he really does give off some creepy vibes. Since we now know Kincaid isn't the killer, let's move on to the real killer, who is Roman. And not only is he the killer, but he is Sydney's half-brother. It's like a freaking episode of Mari Povich in here. I was shocked. Because, like, towards the end, I was, like, trying to figure it out. And I was like, I really think it's Roman. I really think it's him. And then I was like, no, maybe it's Kincaid. He's really giving me those creepy vibes. And then I was like, oh, yeah, I remembered it. Like, as soon as Kincaid showed up, I was like, yes, it's Roman. For sure, it's Roman. But I did forget that he was her half-brother. That I completely forgot about. The reason that when she shot him to hell and got back up is because he has a little snazzy bulletproof vest on. So that makes sense of why he's, quote, unquote, superhuman. His motive here is that he's been mad at Sydney his whole life because Maureen forgot about him and created a whole new family. So he followed her and videoed her meeting with Billy's dad and supplied Billy with the motivation to kill her. Pretty decent plan, I will give him that. And then we find out that he has Milton tied up and he's going to frame Sydney for Milton's murder. That's a new twist to make Sydney the murderer, but you know it's the third one, anything can happen. I will give it to Sydney. When they fight, she puts up a pretty good fight for a hot minute, but Roman does end up shooting her. But she also has one of those snazzy bulletproof vests on and ends up sneaking up behind him and stabs him, but that doesn't keep him down for long. He tries to come back for a third round, but Dewey shoots him, but he keeps shooting him in the chest. Everybody's like, Dewey head, Dewey head. And finally, that's when he shoots him in the head and he falls to the ground. I feel like I don't have to tell you guys who survives this movie because you already know, but we do end this movie with Dewey and Gail getting engaged finally finally but you know my thoughts on this movie was that it was really the gail and dewey movie they were the main stars and sydney just had a cameo i give this movie like a 7 out of 10 i liked it better than i remembered but it's still not the best and it's still not better than two in my opinion but now on to my second favorite one we're on to the fourth and final movie that is for right now of this franchise so with that being said let's get right into it so like I said, I was going to explain to you guys who all was newbies to this movie, and I'm going to do that right now. Our regular crew is obviously back, but we have a ton of new people to list off. So here we go. With our main people, we have Emma Roberts, Hayden Panettiere, Allison Brie, Roy Culkin, the other, other Culkin brother, Nico Tortolia, I don't think I'm saying his last name right, but he's the guy from Younger that plays Josh. That's him. Anthony Anderson and Adam Brody. We also have a ton of cameos, which include Lucy Hale, Shanae Grimes Beck, she's from Degrassi, and 90210. 
Anna Paquin, and I can't say Anna Paquin's name without thinking of Schmidt from New Girl. He goes, an Academy Award winner, Anna Paquin. So every time I hear her name, it just makes me laugh. But we also have Amy Teagarden. She's from Friday Night Lights. She plays the coach's daughter. I'm blanking on what her name is, but that's her. And to close out our cameos, we have Britt Robertson. They just really packed this movie again like they did in the first one. They packed so many people in the first one, and then they packed so many people to close it out, or at least we thought they were closing it out. The way they opened up this movie, though, was way different than they have with the previous three. It was kind of like a movie within a movie within a movie kind of thing. I'm going to explain it to you. It starts out with two girls, which is Lucy Hale and Shanae Grimes Beck, who end up getting attacked by Ghostface. But you find out that this is all actually the ending of Stab 6. And you find that out because we cut to the title of Stab 6 and two more girls, which is Anna Paquin and Kristen Bell, have just finished watching it and are talking about those movies and how terrible they are. But Kristen Bell's character says she actually likes them while Anna Paquin's character is bashing them. All of a sudden, Kristen Bell stabs her, which we then find out is the end of Stab 7. This is where we get into the real people. And this is where we meet Jenny and Marnie which is played by Amy Teagarden and Britt Robertson. And they're the ones watching the end of Stab 7. So I hope you followed all that. It was a little weird, but I do like the way that they opened it up. It was a different feel. We find out that Sydney actually sued the studios that make the Stab movies after Stab 3, and they aren't allowed to use her story anymore because Britt Robertson's character, Marnie, was asking, hey, I thought these were true stories based on Woodsboro. And Jenny said... They used to be until Sydney sued the studio and then they just started making random crap up. Well, Jenny decides that she's going to play a trick on Marnie and calls the house phone pretending to be Ghostface, but Marnie figures it out and it's a joke. But then she goes missing, like she's on the phone with her and all of a sudden you hear her like gag and she's just gone from the phone. So Jenny thinks that she's playing a joke on her, but then we figure out that she is definitely not playing a joke because Ghostface, the real Ghostface, throws her through a window. Jenny, of course, gets chased to the garage, and we do kind of have a Tatum kill repeat. She gets crushed by the garage door, and he breaks her back, basically. It's kind of disgusting. And then he stabs her. And then that's our opening scene. I did forget how much more gory this movie was compared to the other three, and I don't really know why they vamped it up so much for this one, but they did, and especially in one certain scene, and I'll get to it later, but it was just way gorier than I remember and I I don't know I guess it was since it was 10 years later they're like oh we gotta bring out the big guns big blood big kills something I don't know but they really understood the assignment and accomplished it in the gore category so after that big opening scene we get to the movie and it's been 10 years but Sydney has made her return to Woodsboro we find out that it's her last stop on her book tour yeah she wrote a book a self-help book at that called out of darkness Gail and Dewey are also back in Woodsboro, but they've been back. They're married. Yay. And Dewey is now the sheriff. And Gail is trying to write a new book. And she is having some major writer's block. I think she needs a new murder mystery to help her write a new book. Which luckily, this movie provides for her. This is now where we meet Jill, who is played by Emma Roberts, who is Sydney's cousin. She's not her biggest fan. They actually call her the Grim Reaper. Uh, And by they, I mean her friends, which is Olivia. And I don't know the actress's name that plays her. She didn't look familiar to me, so I didn't put her on the list. And then also uh, Jill's friend Kirby, who is played by Hayden Panettiere. Now, Hayden Panettiere's character Kirby is a big fan of Sydney's because she's a big horror movie buff. So they're kindred spirits, I guess. When we make it to the school, that's where we meet 
Rory Culkin's character. His name is Charlie and his best friend's name is Robbie. Now I don't know, I also don't know the person who plays Robbie, so I didn't put him on the list either, but they are also big cinema buffs. They run the cinema club and that comes into play later. We also meet Jill's terrible boyfriend, or should I say ex-boyfriend, who's played by Nico Tortella. I'm really butchering his name and I am so sorry, but he is awful because apparently he told her that he loved her and then he cheated on her but yet he doesn't understand why they can't still be together. He also gives off very creepy vibes in my opinion, so he is number one on my list of suspects. Ah, I forgot to mention that when Jill, Olivia, and Kirby were all on their way to school, Jill gets a call from Jenny, but we figure out it's actually Ghostface. He asks her the generic question, the what's your favorite scary movie? And she ends up hanging up on him, but then Olivia tells them that she got the same kind of call, but from Marnie's phone. All this to say that they trace the phone that made all these calls, and they end up tracing it to Sydney's car trunk with a knife, her book tour posters, all covered in blood. It's a lovely welcome home present that she gets, right? No surprise here, but everyone at school finds out about the murders. The cops also find out about the calls made to Jill and her friends and decide that Sydney and Jill need to be put under police surveillance. Haas and Perkins, which is played by Adam Brody and Anthony Anderson, are the lucky ones picked for this task. We all know where this is going, so don't even get attached to them. No one should be shocked by this at all, but Gail wants to help solve these murders, but Dewey says it's a no-go. Also, Deputy Judy, which is, I guess she's his partner. I don't really know if the sheriff has a partner, but she's a very important character in this movie. She also says it's a no-go. Side note on her, she gives off the creepiest vibes. Her and Gail do not get along. It is very plainly obvious. So I wonder how this is all going to end. Gail says she's going rogue, and I just know that this is just not going to end well for her. So like I said before, Olivia is scared of Sydney and like won't even go in Jill's house because she's staying there. That means that she is going to stay at her house all by herself because apparently her mom stays with her boyfriend and leaves Olivia alone all the time. Y'all see where I'm going with this and what's going to happen next? If you don't, I'm about to tell you. Jill gets a call from Trevor's number, but it's not Trevor. It's Ghostface and he is in Olivia's freaking room. Sydney hears all the screaming and goes next door to help, but she is too late. Olivia is like dead, dead. And this is what I was talking about earlier with the extra gore. Like he slung her around that room. And when Sydney gets there, there's blood just splattered all across our walls. And the girl's freaking inner organs are just out of her and on her bed. And when Sydney like squats down, like slides her fingers down the doorframe, you hear this like squish sound from all the blood that's on the doorframe. It's disgusting. Jill, of course, makes it next door right after we find Olivia's body. Sydney tries to keep her out of Olivia's room and she gets upset with her. And she said, Olivia just never even liked you. She was right to call you the Grim Reaper. We're still trying to get her out of the house. When this happens, Ghostface attacks them. And of course, you know, Jill puts up her arm. She gets slashed on the arm and Sydney knocks Ghostface down the stairs. They fight. And of course she knocks him out, but the cops don't show up until after all this nonsense is done and Ghostface has escaped already. And conveniently, that's when Trevor shows up. They end up taking Sydney and Jill to the hospital, and Sydney's publicist, Rebecca, which is played by Allison Brie, meets her there and informs her of the new deal with her book and saying, you know, this is great. You know, all this, this stuff is happening. It's really good for your book tour, and they want to up your contract, which upsets Sydney because she feels like Rebecca doesn't care what the book is about, and she fires her. While Rebecca is trying to leave the hospital, she gets a call from Ghostface, but she still tries to leave the garage, but then her car won't start. Ghostface is tampered with it. He's taken 
wires out of her vehicle. I have no idea any car lingo, so don't get me lying to you about what he took out of her car. But she runs out of her car and almost makes it to the exit. Like, you think, oh, she's going to make it. She's really going to make it. And then the door's locked, and she turns around, Ghostface is running towards her, and stabs her. As if that wasn't enough for this poor woman, after she's dead, he throws her off the hospital roof onto a news van right in the middle of a press conference. And at this press conference is where Dewey is saying, oh, they have everything under control, everything's fine. Well, obviously not. And that's when Gail tries again to get Dewey to let her help, and he's still not budging, he still says it's a no-go, so then she decides that she's going to team up with Charlie and Robbie, who I was talking about before, that they're in charge of the cinema club at Woodsboro High, because she thinks that they may have some insight into what's going on, and why these murders are so different. So, at Cinema Club, that's where they talk about how they think that the killer is working off a horror remake rule. They say that the unexpected is the new cliche, and that the kills have to be way more extreme, and that it's basically a reversal of an original horror movie. They also say that the killer should be filming his murders because that's what everybody's doing right now, is filming their whole entire life. And so, that way they film it, then they put it up on the net so that that way that they're immortal for forever, basically. They also start talking about the Stabathon that happens every year. I think they do it on the anniversary of when the first scream took place and that it's happening tonight and how everyone is going, which we all know is a really bad idea from watching all of these previous movies. So once again, we get to see Gail crash another party. In old school Gail fashion this time, she brings her own hidden cameras again. She sets them up all over the place. They host this party in like this big abandoned barn. So, you know, she posts one up by the door. She posts one up on the second floor where she can see the crowd. And she posts two other ones, like, in the midst of the party. But instead of these cameras having a lag, like in the original Scream, these cameras end up getting covered up by Ghostface. So she has to go inside and fix them. And that's when she sees a webcam is set up right beside one of her cameras. So then she figures out that this Ghostface is actually filming his murders. But of course, when she figures it out, she gets stabbed in the shoulder. I wanted to say where she specifically got stabbed because it does come into play later in the movie. So I'm not just throwing that in there just to throw it in there. It is important. Side note about the stab movies, and I don't know if this is true, but they just look a whole lot alike. But the girl that plays Deputy Judy in Scream 4, I'm pretty sure plays the Drew Barrymore character in the stab movies. She's not credited for it or anything, but I'm pretty sure that it's her. They look eerily similar, so if it's not her, it's definitely her doppelganger. But anyways, back at Jill's house with Haas and Perkins, Haas, which is Adam Brody, is doing a perimeter check and sees that Jill's window is open and tries to radio Perkins, which is Anthony Anderson's character, about it, but he won't answer. And he gets freaked out because they were just talking about how the cops always die in scary movies. So he runs back to the car and we find out that Perkins is just playing a joke, but that joke is over real quick when Ghostface comes up behind Haas and stabs him in the back, which is per usual of Ghostface, but with Perkins, he stabs him in the freaking head. I mean, it's it's gross. I forgot about it. And so when it happened, I was like, oh no. (laughs) We do find out though that Jill is actually gone. Kirby came to pick her up and we only find that out because Sydney gets a threatening phone call from Ghostface because does Ghostface make any other kind of call but a threatening one? And he, of course, is threatening her family, and that's when she runs to check on Jill, and she's not in her room. 
So then she checks her computer to check her text messages and she sees that Jill and Kirby have been messaging and Kirby did in fact come to get her. Jill's mom, aka Sydney's aunt, her name is Kate, is home though and they try to leave to go find Jill but Ghostface stops that from happening real quick and blocks both their exits. While they're trying to close the front door where he's trying to pry it open, Kate decides that she's going to try and get some more leverage from the bottom of the door. So she slides down the door in front of the mail slot. You all see where I'm going with this. She ends up getting enough pressure for them to close the door. And when Sydney's like, hey, let's go, Kate gets stabbed in the back of the throat through the mail slot. Deputy Judy shows up literally right after all this happens while Sydney is trying to leave. And she wants her to stay so she can answer some questions. But Sydney doesn't do that. She ends up leaving because she's got to go get Jill. But back to these wacky kids. There's an after party at Kirby's because obviously the stabathon was shut down after the sheriff's wife was stabbed. And what's a party without a party crasher? Looking at you, Trevor. He claims that Jill texted him and invited him to this party. She did not. She says she can't even find her phone. So she leaves to go find it to prove to everybody that she didn't text him. While Robbie decides that he's just going to get hammered. So he then goes outside and he wants to film, of course. He runs into a plant, which then knocks his camera off. And when he goes to put it back on, it's on backwards. Which, of course, he didn't know. But he's going to find out later. But back inside, Kirby and Charlie almost have a moment, which then gets interrupted by Trevor. This party's getting interrupted by Trevor. Their moment is getting interrupted by Trevor. The consensus here, Trevor's the worst. Him ruining their moment pisses them both off. Charlie leaves the room. He's so angry. And speaking of leaving the room, no one can find Jill now. Coincidence? I think not. Back outside with Robbie, he finally figures out that his camera is backwards. But once he solves the one problem, another one is not far behind. His new problem, Ghostface is behind the front door. So Robbie tries to run. But I mean, as if I need to say this next part, he gets stabbed. But inside, Kirby is looking for everyone. And Jill finally emerges, but now they can't find Charlie, Trevor, or Robbie. I mean, we know where Robbie is, but they'll figure it out soon enough. But have no fear. Sydney made it to the party to save Jill. And with perfect timing, Robbie, who somehow is still kicking, makes his way to the front door again, but is able to warn them to run before he falls over dead. Sydney and Jill make it upstairs. I have no idea where Kirby went. It doesn't really show where she goes. But Sydney tells Jill to hide under the bed and she leads Ghostface onto the balcony slash roof. He doesn't follow her for long, though, but before he catches up to her, Sydney is able to call Dewey and fill him in on what's happening. But as soon, and I mean as soon as she gets off the phone, Ghostface pops up on the other side of the house. How, by the way? I have no idea. He must be lightning fast with that cloak. Don't know how it's not wind resistant, but that is neither here nor there. He ends up knocking Sydney off the roof. She's okay, though. Nobody panic. This woman cannot die. Sydney makes her way back inside, though, and she does find Kirby. Kirby then leads them down to her basement to hide. And just to give you kind of a setup, her basement is set up with, like, French doors and windows all around it so you can see outside. And that's when Charlie shows up. And he is covered in blood. He claims that it's Robbie's, though, and begs her to let him in. He said that he found Robbie, and he's that's why he's covered in blood. She doesn't believe him, though, and she keeps him locked out. Smart girl because she's seen a ton of scary movies and she probably knows how this goes. Ghostface ends up coming up behind him though and knocking him out and ends up taping him to a chair outside. Is this reminding you of any movie? Maybe Scream 1? 
Kirby then gets a call from Charlie's phone, and it's Ghostface, duh, and they play a game. Horror movie trivia. Seriously, that we're just basically taking this from Scream 1. While they're playing, Sydney is off to see if Jill is still hiding. Spoiler, she is not. Back to Kirby, though. She thinks she's won the horror movie trivia because Ghostface just basically stops talking after she gives this full lengthy list of killers because he asks her what the it's like horror movie genre remake was based off of or something like that. She basically lists every single killer in every single scary movie. And once she's done listing all of them, he just stops talking. So she thinks she's won. So she goes outside to untape Charlie. And after she unties him, he stabs her. He says, this is making a move and stabs her. So that makes Charlie killer number one. His motive is that he liked her so much, and but she ignored him for so long until tonight when she was drunk and lonely, I guess. And so that's his motive, I guess. Good old teen angst. Meanwhile, Sydney is still searching for Jill, but Charlie finds Sydney first, but she's able to get away, but she literally runs into our second ghost face's knife, and our second killer would be Miss Jill herself. Who's shocked? I know I was when I saw it the first time. It definitely caught me off guard. So after we find out that our killers are Charlie and Jill, we find out that they have tied Trevor up and they're going to frame him for everything, starting at Jenny and Marnie's murder to where we're at right now. All because this boy cheated on Jill. I'm telling you, it's just pure teen angst. That is the motive here. There is nothing else. We really see how cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs Jill is because she shoots Trevor in the dick and then in the head. Overkill much? Just, yeah. So the plan is Jill and Charlie want to play it off that Trevor is this year's Billy Loomis, which makes them this year's Sydney and Randy. That's their logic, not mine. They are going for the Billy and Stu plan in surviving this and try to make it look like they fought their way out. So that means that we gotta stab each other again. Unlike Billy and Stu though, but unlike Billy and Stu... Jill doesn't want a partner. She wants to be the sole survivor of this. She wants her fame. That's what she's going for. So she's supposed to stab Charlie in the shoulder, but we go for the heart and then the gut. So obviously this year's Randy doesn't get the girl either. Like I said, Jill wants to be famous. Actually, she doesn't want to be just famous. She wants to be Sydney. So in order for her to be Sydney, the OG Sydney has to die. So she stabs her in the gut also. But is Sydney really dead? So now that everyone is supposedly dead, Jill now has to give herself some injuries so her story seems realistic. I will give it to her. She did get creative when she gave herself these injuries. Still a psycho though. So once she's done running into a knife, throwing herself onto a table, and also running into a picture on the wall, she then plants the gun by Charlie and the knife by Trevor after she's wiped her prints off. Then she stumbles over and lays herself beside Sydney in the exact same position it's really, really creepy and maybe a little overboard. It's a little too, too perfectly put into a bow, I guess is how I would put it. But she accomplishes what she wanted. She got her fame and when she wakes up, she's in the hospital and Dewey's there to make sure she's okay. And she plays it off like Trevor did absolutely everything. I mean, she sells it. She's crying like, oh my God, he killed all my friends. But she kind of slips up because she asks how Gail is. And says she wants to write a book with her. And it's perfect because they have matching injuries. Which does stick with Dewey, but he really doesn't. He kind of lets it go for a second. Because she asks about Sydney. And this is where we find out that Sydney is still alive. She's 
touch and go, but she's still alive, which is not part of Jill's plan at all. So as soon as Dewey leaves her room, she goes to find Sydney's room. When Dewey makes it back to Gail's room and he tells her what Jill said about their matching wounds, Gail is confused on how she even knew that because it wasn't released anywhere of where she got stabbed. And then all of a sudden it just clicks with Dewey that, oh my God, she's the one that did this. I gotta go save Sydney. So he rushes to Sydney's room and when he gets there, he is greeted with a smack across the head with a bedpan by Jill. And then she proceeds to beat the crap out of him with said bedpan and then steals his gun. But before Dewey even made it to Sydney's room, Jill beat him to it and she woke Sydney up and she's like, you just won't die, will you? And proceeds to unplug all her machines, roll her off of the bed and press her knee into her gut where she shot her. And then that's when Dewey shows up. Gail then comes to find Dewey, almost gets herself shot, but Deputy Judy is here to save the day, but ends up having to give up her gun and then she gets shot by Jill. And while all that is happening, Sydney is able to turn on the charging paddles and comes up behind Jill and shocks her in the head. And she says, clear, and then just shocks her. It's not funny, but it is funny all at the same time. So you would think she'd be like dead, dead now, right? Wrong. Just kidding. She tries to make her comeback with some glass that had broken. She was going to stab her. And then Sydney grabs a gun and shoots her. I mean, Sydney's done this a time or two, so she was definitely prepared. So now she really is dead, dead. I don't want you guys to be worried. Gonna let you know Deputy Judy did not die because she also had a handy dandy bulletproof vest. Those come in real handy in these movies. And she has this catchy slogan for it. Wear the vest, save your chest. Gotta love that. But the bad part, not that there's just one bad part, but you know what I mean. It's that all these news stories are coming out about how Jill is a hero. Psych! And that's gonna conclude our Scream Watch I forgot how much I liked this movie. I know I said it was my second favorite and I still stand by that, but it was just really well done and I just really forgot how much I enjoyed this movie. But like I said, that's the end and I just want to say thanks again to everyone who listened today and thank you for being patient with this episode coming out. I know it was late and I'm so sorry. I would love to hear your feedback on this episode and your thoughts about this movie. I would also love your feedback on the format of this podcast or layout or whatever word you want to use for it. I posted on my TikTok about getting some feedback from you guys if you like the way I'm doing these with basically just telling you the whole story and just giving my opinions or if you want me to do it a different way. Would love to hear your feedback. If you have suggestions, I'd love to hear that too. And you guys know where to follow me so that you can do all this. But I'm going to tell you again, it's Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, all the same handle, which is at Movie Theater Mom. So come on, give me a follow, and let's chat. All right, well, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Next week, we're talking about Practical Magic, which is one of my favorite Sandy Bullock movies. So I'm super stoked to watch it and then talk about it with you guys. Then after that, we have one more movie or actually movies that we're going to be talking about. And that is going to wrap up our spooky season month. So keep an eye out for clips and sneak peeks of what's to come. And until next week, see ya. See ya.